Welcome back to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave Niven, and as always, it's a pleasure to have your company. Now, today, I'm talking with somebody I've wanted to talk to for a long time. Professor Lena Dominelli, she's a qualified social worker, and she holds the chair at moment at social work at the University of Stirling, but she's been involved in so much more than that, and we're going to get to that all during the programme, because there's just so much. It would be just like a list at the moment. But in a very recent publication, she has put out this year, Putin's War in Ukraine, a challenge for social workers and others. And I think that's the one I'd like to start with. Now, anyway, so welcome to the programme, Lena. Thank you, Dave. It's uh, wonderful for me to be here and always a pleasure to talk to you. Good, thanks. Okay, well, look, let's start there. I have to go backwards a bit after that, but I think it's, it's just so current. Putin's war in Ukraine, a challenge for social workers and others. Um, I mean, I've got the first paragraph here, but I'd rather hear you just give a quick synopsis, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. Well, I think the uh, Putin's war in Ukraine, although now we've been told we should call it Russia's war in Ukraine, because too many of the, the Russian population support Putin. But I don't really trust those figures because they've been put out by the, the regime. And uh, we know Putin lies through his teeth. So um, I've still been calling it Putin's war because I still think it's his war. But I got interested in it because, first of all, like most Westerners, I'm post-war child. I have never had to face a war. Of course, I heard about my, my father's role in the Second World War and his heroic activities. He even fought in the Russian front and was hospitalized in Lviv which was quite interesting to me. Oh, yeah, because, um, yeah, some uh, German truck or lorry went over him and nearly killed him, and he was in hospital for six months. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of, like, was shocked when I, I thought, I thought Lviv was Lviv, and it was in Russia and then went to Poland, but it went to Ukraine after the Second World War. So I feel a bit of a connection, but it wasn't what got me interested. What got me interested was that because I hadn't had any experience of supporting people through war traumas and disasters, I thought, well, this is one way of learning because I'm a hands-on person and I knew I wasn't going to go to Ukraine because it wasn't safe, mm -hmm. but I had some links and I was approached. So it was because I was approached by the Ukrainian social workers mm -hmm. to support them and to show solidarity. So, of course, I said yes. And that was how Social Work for Peace got started. So it was a solidarity initiative. And there are about six key people involved in it, three from the UK and um, three from um, Eastern Europe. And actually, the chair of the group, we have a group that meets with the Ukrainian social workers mm -hmm. every Wednesday evening. Mm -hmm. um, she's from Slovenia. And um, I wanted to kind of like go more international than just Europe. So that was where Social Work for Peace came up as a, right. as a yeah. And I, because I'm very well connected globally in social work, I thought, well, um, if I don't do it, who else is? So everybody said, oh, yeah, go ahead, do it and we'll support okay. you. Yeah, well, that, yeah. I mean, 
I mean, I think people should I mean, give a bit of context to this last statement here, just to reinforce it for people who are listening, that you are at, currently chair of the International Association of Schools of Social Work Committee on Disaster Interventions, Climate Change and Sustainability, as well as the Special Interest Group on Disaster Interventions for the British Association of Social Workers. Previously, you've been involved in every single thing with so many letters after the name. It's unbelievable. And we'll get to them as well. But I just want people to realise that you have a, an enormous sort of depth of knowledge here. Um, so, sorry, I interrupted you. No, but that's I wanted okay. to get some context. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me, because um, I tend to forget those things and I'm, I'm in the moment. Um, so anyway, uh, basically, I work from the grassroots up. So we had about 40 um, Ukrainian social workers from all over Ukraine. And we started on the 24th of February and have been going ever since. Mm. And um, yeah, we, we were and they're from all over the Ukraine. So we were watching people with the in their bank children crying, um, adults talking in the background. And all we could see was um, the social workers' faces in the bunkers on their iPhones or similar phones where we could just see their face in the darkness. And it was um, quite amazing because we could also hear sirens and, and we were just amazed at the courage of the social workers. They were risking their lives going out during the bombings, the bombardments, trying to deliver services, trying to bring people into safety in the bunkers. And then it expanded and grew from that. Um, I guess we have about 20 people who are core now um, because a lot of people went overseas, which was interesting. The minute they went overseas, they didn't want support as Ukrainian social workers, which I find quite interesting. But we've got about between 20 and 30. They vary a little bit. And is that still going then every Wednesday? Yeah, yes, we're still going strong. Um, we'll be on our 14th meeting. I think it's next Wednesday now. Yeah, and um, so what what has happened has been that things have changed. Now, we tend to hear about the disasters that have happened long before they come up in the media, including the terrible atrocities around women and the rape of women, the killing of civilians. We heard all that from, firsthand from the social workers before they even hit the media. And then, of course, they got corroborated by the media. But we started then saying to them, so what can we do to help you? Because obviously we're not going to come to the Ukraine. We can't help you with fighting because uh, we're for peace and we want to facilitate dialogue. And at the beginning, they were interested in facil uh, facilitative dialogues with the Russians. Now they're less keen on that because they said we don't trust any of the Russians because of what they've done to our people, like the um, indiscriminate killing and the war crimes. So now they don't want to have anything to do with Russia, and especially after the Russian Federation of Social Workers, its president said that um, she supported um, the Russian regime. And even though we have, and we have as part of the group that was supporting the Ukrainians, a couple of uh, Russian social workers that I've known for many years, they joined the uh, support group, but they only come in and out. 
because um, it's not safe for them to do so. And they have to keep changing their um, email addresses. So the minute they talk to us, they've got to change the email address because otherwise they could get um, um, followed up by no, the... No, no, I understand, I understand. Yeah, um, so we're very careful um, with that. But what they said they wanted us to do, so we switched into this now. They wanted their students to graduate this year as planned and not have the war destroy their careers. So they've asked us to help them with training. So we have been helping them with training. We've had um, trauma-informed um, interventions. There were workshops on that, workshops on domestic violence, workshops on war and rape and violence. And I even did one on um, disasters and masculinity and violence. Um, and then uh, I, they also asked for a lot of other things that I wasn't involved in, that other people were involved in. They were about kind of more mainstream social work issues. And I try not to do things that other people can do, um, possibly even better than me. But Let me ask you a quick, been... quick question. Sorry, interrupting. Just a quick question on that. The training you did and, and others did, which sounds fantastic. I mean, was that for that group and then you hoped that they would cascade it on or, or is it just that group that you've managed to train? Both, for that group and for their students. And then they cascaded on. So like tomorrow, I'm going to be doing my second workshop. And they're usually anything from three to six hours of workshops. So you have to allow for a whole day, hmm. um, but I can't tomorrow. So mine tomorrow is three hours. And um, I'll be doing community development and um, touching on reconstruction because I've been arguing, well, you know, we've been talking a lot about mitigation, adaptation and, and war, but now we've got to start talking about reconstruction after war. And I also want to talk about how war adds to um, global warming and the global crisis. Um, so that's going to be... You've got a major agenda there, Lena, a major agenda. I know <laughs> that you've been a prolific writer and I know you've been published you know, widely and I know you're into green social work. Uh, I mean, and, and, and if we had every hour in the day, I'd love you to expand on every single one of them. But just focusing for a second on this again, you, you, you're talking about management of disasters. You're back to that again, because this war is a disaster yeah. in effect. And uh, yeah. effect effectively, social workers as first responders is not a phrase that normally trips off the Western tongue. No, which is one of the reasons why I've set up this, um, and it ran this year for the first time, although I've been trying to get it organized since I was at Durham. Tried for five years at Durham. Eventually, I got, yeah, we, yes, we'll do it. But they never had the money. Eventually, they agreed to have one course. And at that point, I thought, you know what? I'm going to see if anybody else is interested. And Sterling had a vacancy. And I said, I'll only apply if you're interested in getting someone there to do this. Mm. And they said, yes, we'll have the normal interviews and we'll see you know may the best person win and I got the post and um, mm. so it's run for the first time since uh, September was when we started 
And um, it's the only one in its country, which is run by a social worker and takes a green social work perspective to disasters, all kinds of disasters. Now, I didn't know when I organized it, it's got eight um, modules, including what I call a field-based learning opportunity. I didn't know that most of my field-based learning opportunities, because they were based in emergency, just ordinary emergency (laughs) planners, where social workers are first responders, but no local authority takes that seriously. They ask for volunteers. And that's contrary to the Civil Contingencies Act in this country. Anyway, I set this up last year. um, And then come, I guess it was uh, just before Christmas, I wrote to them and said, you know, the students will be coming as planned in uh, February. Are you ready? Is there anything I can do to help support that? Because we've got a bit of time to get ready. And they wrote back and they said, well, because of COVID still continuing and because of the shortage of workers, we're pulling out of this for this year and we'll do it in 23. Oh, oh no. So I had to go back and kind of organize them. And so the war from that point of view was quite helpful because suddenly I've got all these policies and practices linked to war and agencies that are interested in um, having students help them look at what they're doing and also hands-on experiences with people coming from Ukraine. And And on on the upside, you've got another year to polish them. Yeah, and so hopefully at least the ones I've got now. But I had to work um December, January, February, March, mm-hmm. April to finally get my my new placements. Oh God, it was and that was on top of teaching like an enormous amount because okay. I, so, I teach what did you do in the what did you do in the afternoons? <laughs> what did I do in the afternoons? <laughs> Everything else to support students no, and, to I'm joking. Just and, like an and research, report. which has really fallen. <laughs> I'm way behind in research and writing. I mean I've had to write to everybody and say, I'm really sorry, please, can you give me an extension? Well, look, let's, let's focus a bit more on it. Can I please? I mean, because look, it certainly gives a new a new meaning to the sort of thing I kind of, when I qualified uh, however many, 300 years ago or whatever, I mean, there was this talk that social work was entirely to do with conflict resolution. Yeah. And every single aspect of social work is to do with that. And is this just something, conflict resolution writ large? I mean... Well, yes and no. It does have uh, conflict resolution in it, like the peaceful resolution of conflict. So, of course, that set up lots of interesting tensions in supporting the Ukrainian social workers after the atrocities in Bucha, particularly, but Mm. also in Mariupol, where social workers were shot, you know, like in their cars with their kids and their husbands watching. It's really appalling. But anyway, um, so there's a part of me that says, I don't blame them because I understand where they're coming from. And the other part of my brain that says, yes, but this is against the peaceful <laughs> resolution of conflict. But you need two people to have a dialogue about peaceful yeah, I resolution. Know, I know, I know, I, I, um, I, I, I so, get it. So, so it is highlighting really important tensions that we really don't have answers for. I certainly don't because mm. I think, well, what would I do? And I do ask myself this question because I'm my own worst critic. I think, well, if a Russian came here to me in the UK, came to my garden and started trying either to attack me or anybody else in my neighborhood, 
um, or tried to take some of my stuff if they don't ask for it. I willingly share stuff. What would I do? And I think if somebody gave me a gun, would I shoot it? And I've had to go into the depths, you know, of my heart to sort of say, yeah, if I felt threatened, I would. Because I have the right, and I learned this from my dad, I have the right to self-defense. And he always said, even in war, um, it was never about um, killing people for the sake of it. It was kind of to protect whatever they were fighting for. Oh, and to yeah. So I thought, oh, my God, I never thought, because I used to be terrible to my dad. You know, I used to criticize him and say, oh, you're just, you were working class fodder. And they loved having you as a hero because you were doing all the things they wanted to and they were frightened to, including saving some people from suicide, criticizing Germans who were spraying uh, women in the depths of winter, pregnant women with cold water and then having them dig the graves beforehand and then just watching them fall in. And of course, he would try to stand up for them. And that was one of the reasons why he got run over and people headbutted him with rifles and everything to try and get him to fall off because he grabbed onto the truck to not be run over. And then he got run over because eventually his hands just gave way under the... That was a terrible story. It is a terrible story. And now I think, oh, my God, I wish... I had been kinder to my dad. Oh, oh, I think he I knows. Think everybody's got knows. some luggage. I, I think, think everybody's got luggage. But I think he knows because I think he's watching me and looking after me from wherever. I saw him go up into the sky, and I'm I'm spiritual, so I think, yeah, he's still there watching over me. And that's probably why I think, yeah, I'm my father's daughter. I would defend myself because he always argued I, sh- I have the right to self-defense. Right. And I certainly needed it in, in the UK because I was working in Leeds during the time of the Yorkshire Ripper, and I thought he was after me. And, in fact, I did. The last um, person that he killed was Jackie Hill, student on my team. And I did what she did on the uh, Friday. I did on the Monday that route. But I always was suspicious. And if I heard somebody walking behind me, and I, you know, I did get that from my dad. I am not intimidated by anybody. I'd hear somebody and I'd turn around to see, did they have a uh, hold all because I assumed these guys were cowards. I didn't know who they were at the time, but I know I saw the guy when he finally, he then came to Sheffield when I got there and he was caught in Sheffield. And I said to my husband, I've seen that face before. I'm terrible on memories, but I never forget a face. I said, I've definitely seen him. Um, but I just thought if I see somebody, I'll just walk straight towards them and look them in the eye. And yes, if they try to attack me, I will do my best to fight back. Well, good. Uh, let, let me I let me stop you a sec because we, we we've got a time thing here. But not not, not I, I need to ask you one or two other things if that's all right. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, I learned how to defend myself. No, I think I think that's that's clear and you know and you know quite sort of um, noble actually, really the way you've and, and traumatizing at the time too. Mm. So we'll talk about it another time. Yeah. All the things you've been kind of involved with, whether it's disaster management, whether it's to do with Ukraine, whether it's to do with whatever. I mean, history has obviously taught us that there's been huge, great conflagrations in the world, whether it's the the world wars or whether it's other wars or whether it's kind of natural disasters, tsunamis, earthquakes, whatever, that after every single one, there's a need for reconstruction. Yeah. And I just wanted to like for sort of a, a last 
part of this, if you would, wouldn't mind, because I know you're, you're quite um, well versed in this, to describe a little bit about what social work could provide in the reconstruction phase, you know, what, what, we, what we need to be preparing for, because it will happen, but it, yes, might, be it, a, it might be a while, but I know, but it might, but it will happen. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think what we need to do is social work as well. I think we need training. First of all, I want all social workers to be trained in the whole entire cycle of disasters. So, yeah, this is a plug. Cut to Sterling if you don't want to go anywhere else. No, anyway. Um, There's no problem with that. I'll put it on the front page of the podcast, you know, the type of contact. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. That's, that's okay. But um, I will finish answering this question. What I think we need to do is we need to train social workers in a number of different areas. One is how to mobilize traumatized communities in how to speak up about the kind of new communities they want. I do not want building back better, which is what the UN goes for. I want transformative change where people are asked, what kind of a community do you want? Because a lot of my experiences, a lot of the communities that build back better are terrible in reinforcing existing inequalities, especially around gender and disability. And also, I think, you know, people have been through this trauma, they've got to learn from it. And, and treating people with equality and with respect and dignity is an important part of that. So during the reconstruction phase, we really need to prepare social workers to mobilize communities around how they envisage their community looking differently from what it was before so that some of the lessons they learned, particularly around gender and violence, um, do not get repeated um, during the reconstruction and after phase. Starting now. Mobilizing the community is the first thing that social workers have to do to get the community to think differently about what kind of a society they want. And because I'm a grassroots-oriented person, I want participatory action research and co-production. So the planners, the civil engineers, the housing builders, developers, all sorts of people have to come together with the community to say, okay, how are we going to talk about what we all want and how we're going to get to creating this new society that is going to be inclusive, democratic, participative, all the kind of things that we stand for as social workers who are in a social justice, environmental justice oriented community. The other thing that I think um, we need to do is to get social workers to learn how to work transdisciplinarily so that they work with the uh, people whose experiences and knowledge and expertise they don't have, and they're usually experts in civil engineering, for example. We have to learn how to work with them because we cannot have all the skills and knowledge in our heads. Yeah, we do learn them quickly, and I learn quickly, so I know a lot of civil engineering now that I didn't know before, but it's um, important that we work in transdisciplinary teams, that we work with stakeholders, and then that we think about the environment, because social justice for me includes environmental justice. And that means we have to think about how do we rebuild our houses so that they are better able to withstand any kind of aggression, but do so without costing the earth. Because already, and I have tweeted about this because I'm so furious about it, um, Putin has already destroyed. We have had 
all the infrastructures, the housing, the schools, the medical facilities, everything else in Ukraine destroyed by bombs, um, all sorts of terrible chemical bombs too. Um, and that means that all the resources that we used to build those things have contributed, first of all, when they were being built to carbon um dioxide and greenhouse yeah. gases. By the so, way, have, uh, have any of the social workers you were talking to experienced these, these um, chemical bombs themselves? Oh, yes, they have. Yes, they have. Phosphor bombs, all, all of it. Mm. Um, and so th they need to kind of like think about how do we withstand these kinds of things? Because I'm not convinced, given the history of the Ukraine and Russia, that um, another dictator won't come along in a few years' time and try to take them back again. It's yeah. always been back and forth for about a thousand years. So it's what not you mean, a Ukrainian dictator, you mean? No. No, a Russian, a Russian dictator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been yeah the yeah. Russians who've been attacking the Ukraine. You know, originally, Ukraine started Moscow. It was a Ukrainian city. Mm. Um, but too much history there. So, but social workers need to learn that history because it's still there in people's memories. Well, and look, we've got a couple of minutes left, Lena. Just, I mean, maybe you could just give a message to social workers who are about. Yeah, just, let, just let me finish this point about the climate because then we have to rebuild it. More climate disaster being added to, and we have all the greenhouse gases added to by. The military bombardment just mm, enormous yeah, yeah. so there are three elements that i think and i think we need to hold putin accountable and we as social workers have a role to play in count in having him accountable social workers in ukraine are trying to get evidence and passing it on to the um, people who are collecting the evidence of the war crimes so i think we need to support the ukrainian social workers in standing up for having these um, war criminals. Well, as you know, I've been doing a series of podcasts of Voices from Ukraine, and I, I, there's another one I'm doing, um, going to record it tomorrow, from um, Kate Bushko at the uh, Catholic University in Leeds. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know her very well. Um, in the to, to, yeah, do I know to do with internally displaced persons, I think, is the main thing. Yeah, that's her main interest, yes. Mm. No, I know her well. To get to your, what's my final message? Oh, yeah, final quick message for social workers listening who you would like to yes. interest in this. I think they've got to get training in disasters. I would like to see training in disaster introduced throughout the social work curriculum at qualifying level, specialist, um, post-qualifying at master's level, and PhDs done in disaster social work we need we are so lacking in research evidence-based research that really would help us do even better um i mean i've done a lot but it's it's a drop in the ocean so i want all of those um areas covered and i think we need to convince social work england um the triple sc in scotland Cymru in Wales, um, what is it called? Okay. Basel Cymru, um, Cymru Northern, I know, um, what is it, Northern Ireland, Basel Northern Ireland, yeah. all of those people to really fight for 
qualifying, post-qualifying, specialist training at master's level and at PhD level. And we need to say it has to be research-based because otherwise everybody else is doing our research for us and they don't even know what the questions we need answering are, but we do. So, and I then think that people should be um, insisting that social workers be acknowledged and recognized and valued as first responders and do away with this silly business of, does anybody want to volunteer? That's what they did in Grenfell was the latest one before the COVID thing. Please volunteer to help people in a disaster. And then when the government didn't like what the volunteers did, who did they bring in? Price Waterhouse? Um, But it would encourage social workers to give serious consideration to this. And even though we've got a big vacancy rate at the moment in terms of social workers, and a lot of them questioning the profession at the moment because of very heavy caseloads and and, and low resources. But this is something so important I'm taking from you that you really think we've got to give it full attention. Yes, exactly. And get the government to start putting money behind the training of social workers, ordinary mainstream social work and disaster based social work, because I think without that, we are going to lose out because I can tell you the Chinese that I've been talking to around disasters and green social work, they're really taking off. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of places in the global south are doing likewise, and we're going to be left behind. Okay, well, look, Professor Lena Dominelli, I'm sure we could have doubled or trebled the length of this. Unfortunately, we can't. So maybe you'd come back another time and talk some more about some of the other things that you've experienced and also want to promote. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you. We can't forget anti-oppressive practice. Thank you so much, David, and be in touch. I shall. Thanks, Lena. All right, bye for now. Bye. Bye. Bye.